You get into minute six and you think, are we at least going to get pyrotechnics? I want my smoke machine. I want my wind machine. Like, you know, you start thinking, how many corners are we going to cut? Hello, and welcome to the Euro What, episode number 159 for the week of May 23rd, 2022. I'm Ben Smith, and I'm joined today by Mike McComb. Hey, Mike. Hello. And our special guest, Bradley Dalton Oates. Hey, Bradley. Squee, hello. We are a group of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest, and this week we'll be talking about the Torino Eurovision experience. Welcome back to the show, Bradley. It's a delight to have you again. Thank you. It's amazing to be here. Excellent. So how was your Eurovision? So, yeah, the family and I packed up. We went to Turin. I would say high highs and low lows. I'm currently elated and also very grouchy. That might just be like standard post-Eurovision depression. <laughs> um, just a little a little of both, because like I was sitting in my living room yesterday just being like, well, now what? Yeah, I mean, so spoiler alert, if you wanted to spend the grand final at Eurovision Village, uh, 17 to 20,000 people got let in and 5,000 people were stuck outside. If you were, wow. Yeah. So that's like, let's say conservatively one in five Eurovision fans were just stuck outside a park for the grand final staring in. Doors closed at seven, show started at nine. I was expecting more from Turin, not gonna lie. But uh, if we were going to break everything down, I would say Turin came out not so great, maybe specifically Eurovision Village. Brand Italy, just as far as ESC goes, just like the shows, uh, came out fairly average. But I think the show was great. The music was great. I've got plenty of things that I really loved. But yeah, if you are looking for a television two hours before the final, just desperately um, not great. Yeah, the night of the jury show for the grand final, our Airbnb was right by the park. And I was just like, oh, why don't we just hop over there and grab dinner and then make our way over to the venue? And the line... I could not see the end of the line. It was that long. Oh, was wow. Like, oh, yeah, this is not happening. And I, I don't even know what was happening that night because I don't think they were showing the jury shows like in the park. I assume it was like concerts or something. But yeah, I was like, wow, there. I, I did not realize there were that many people here. Grand final night, there were like hundreds of people on the streets in pink feather boas and tears and sequins and just like, yeah, desperately looking for a place to watch the grand final. So oh, man. yeah, it was really, yeah, you don't want to irritate one out of five Eurovision fans. I, look, I mean, in the positive news, I can't complain. The, um, well, I can, but the people uh, in the <laughs> cl- cl- clearly, I just did. But the people next to us in our hotel room, they were some German library science people who also one of them happens to do drag. They were outside, uh, one of them in drag. Clearly, that's a sad Eurovision fan right there. But um, yeah, they all came back to the hotel and we just like rearranged the hotel room and a whole load of stragglers came over. So that's um, two Dutch people that were ready to go clubbing, the German people that we met and uh, a Serbian that didn't have health care and talked to me about Constructa and his healthcare experience. And, you know, some of the other people talked about how difficult it was being gay and booking some of these places, uh, particularly Kiev, the mm. year it was in Kiev. And I think what I got out of our grand final experience was just 
how much Eurovision means to people personally and just like the personal connection that you have with the songs and the event itself. And because we found other fans to spend it with, it was very, very touching. Um, But, you know, not thanks to Turin, really. That sounds amazing. And and this yeah. was your first Eurovision experience, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My first. And we do it again. I mean, if, for people that are listening, if you decided to do it, definitely get tickets to the events because we paid dearly for tickets to these events because I thought, when are we ever going to do this again? And um, I'm happy that we did because... You were depending so much on Eurovision Village that I'm happy that we didn't. I mean, because we stayed four days and two of the days we saw an actual event in the venue, it was amazing. But if we hadn't, I think we would be a little bit bummed out. And everyone kept saying how great Tel Aviv was. Everyone kept comparing it to other things. And I really had nothing else to compare it to. What events were you you there for? of Eurovision week. So semi-final two televised show and the grand final mm-hmm. family show. So we saw the last rehearsal before they did the real thing, grand final wise. And we did get amazing seats. One of our seats was so far in that it like bisected the rainbow of death. So we could see people preparing backstage as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Super great. Can't complain about the actual event in the, you know, in the venue and in Pala Alpatour. Can't complain. I was going to ask you, you know, what you had tickets to or where you both spent the events. What would, you know, where, who were you spending it with? How did you do? Uh, we had tickets for all three jury shows. And then for the ac- actually watching the TV performances, for the first semifinal, we kind of ran into the same sort of trouble. We didn't want to go all the way to the Eurovision Village just because we were staying at one Airbnb for most of the week and then ended up switching later in the week. But mm. uh, yeah, that Airbnb, it was just a little too far away from the village. We actually weren't able to find anything and just like okay let's just go back and watch it (laughs) well we wanted to watch it on the tv that was in our airbnb but for Mm. some reason it didn't get rai like it only got (laughs) two tvs (laughs) and one of them was just playing like dubbed versions of the good wife which (laughs) is just like huh okay Mm. so we ended up watching it on my laptop uh through the svt feed because it's like sure why sure why not (laughs) go back to old habits win in turin yeah and then for the second semifinal there was a bar that we we're hanging out at the day before it was a bar that had tvs which is like okay that's a good sign and and that, yeah uh, and very rare <laughs> very rare in italy i mean italy like the idea of a sports bar i was like oh quick we have to find a sport oh yeah italy doesn't do those but yeah 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 we happen- happened to find one and it's like okay well and like they had food there too so it's like okay we can get dinner there that should if we get there early enough that should guarantee that we are able to like actually have a place to sit and watch the show and that's what we did for the second one and then for the third one we had gone back to milan because we were going to be flying out the next day. Uh, so we just stayed in our hotel room and watched it from there. And it was nice. It was just a good way to kind of decompress from a very full week of Turin. So <laughs> Yes, and then I was watching from home here just outside of Boston. Uh, although I did get to have like an in-person Eurovision party for the first time in a couple of years, which is very nice. Although, Mike, listening to you describe them like, oh, so this is the purpose of the American bar in every European city I've been to. So that's where the TVs are. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Everybody that I knew was like, oh, there's an Irish pub or an American bar or whatever. Like, yeah, Italians could have made so much money by just like bringing in their television down to the local restaurant because it was, yeah, like the, the search for a TV. I don't know. It was epic. I mean, I'm a bit bummed out because Turin is used to doing this for the World Cup for soccer. I know that Italians can pull out some LED screens and put them in piazzas when they need to. 
And uh, definitely at less than two hours out, we were in a cab just looking for an LED screen in a piazza. <laughs> and yeah, it was like, just, just anybody find me a screen. Did you go to one of the sanctioned uh, Eurovision like clubs at all or, or no? Well, that's what we were trying to do for the Tuesday show. And the one that was closest to our Airbnb wasn't open or it wasn't open at the time that we would have expected it to be open. So it's like, all right. And the, like trying to find other venues. Also, like my phone was a brick during that time. So trying to do any Googling was just not happening. That was really difficult to track down. And like the whole Euro Club concept, there's there's just something. I think there's like the official Euro Club, which is what Eurovision puts together. It seems like it's more about cultural events and like museum type things and then there's like euro club where it's like the fans like putting on dj sets and stuff and that was what we wanted but that wasn't as clearly advertised and it's like i yeah so that that was adding to the frustration on tuesday it's like we're not going to the village like we should, we should be going to this place that's like closer to us so and ben did you spend it with other eurovision fans like where does one find eurovision fans in boston I mostly just have to have to convert uh, Eurovision fans over here. Just like, no, no, come come over, come over, like, come over to my house. I'm going to make a bunch of food. We're going to watch this thing. It's great. There's a lot of accounting at the end. You'll love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a friend group over the years where just like they know that, that I have a Eurovision party. And there are some people in that group who now pay attention to national finals because of it. But a lot of them, they will just show up on the on the or will listen to like the big playlist of like all 40 songs once that's together. But we'll usually just show up on the day not knowing what's happened over the course of the week. And I can fill them in and hopefully have a couple of videos like, here are the things that were robbed that we're going to watch before the main show starts. It's been on Peacock the last couple of years, which, which has been great. I haven't had to have like a laptop plugged into my TV with the VGA cable or just like streaming SVT's feed. I, like this year, we, we got Peacock and we got Johnny Weir commentating, who was well-informed and who I thought did a great job. Did he mess up any of the names of the countries? Because if he didn't, he's one up on Mika. Whatever team he had in his ear was doing a great job of prompting him. And again, like he really seems to know his stuff and be a fan of the contest. So he was like the right person to have kind of guiding us. Although like during the actual final tallying of points, he was just like absent. And I think Peacock is just not sure what they're doing with their live coverage of this yet. This is the first time we've had a commentator last year. It was just like it was just the feed. So I think that they didn't necessarily know if we needed anything from Johnny at that point. Although there was a lot of time where, where Mika and, and company were vamping for time. Where they could have easily, they could easily toss this over to Johnny to also vamp for time. There weren't really that many major differences between the jury shows and the main shows. Well, I guess the one main difference was the fake Monoskin uh, playing uh, the yeah. final jury show, which was uh, <laughs> a fun disappointment. At the family show, you also had a fake Monoskin, correct? We did have fake Monoskin. Um, fake, fake Monoskin. I. I wasn't really sure what to expect from the family show because it's a rehearsal, isn't it? They just call it the family show because <laughs> it's like a matinee or whatever. But um, I didn't know what people were contractually obliged to do. And I didn't think that Monoskin would show up if they didn't have to. A lot of the performers in the family show didn't even get into their costumes, which was a bit upsetting because, um, I, you know, you at least oh, want to... Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, like... I had virtual press access and like was watching, I don't think it was the family show, but one of the other dress rehearsals and like Meek was in like a t-shirt and jeans. I was like, what? 
Is this allowed? And then you think, you know, you get into minute six and you think, are we at least going to get pyrotechnics? I want my smoke machine. I want my wind machine. Like, you know, you start thinking how many corners are we going to cut? But uh, yeah, I definitely, the person whose job that I don't want is the guy that had to explain to everybody that fake monoskin would, you know, because I think, I can't remember in ours if they started singing first, but they had like a fake band. They had the fake band come out and I don't think they explained to us in advance that it wasn't going to be monoskin. It was really evident to me that it wasn't monoskin. And some people actually thought it was monoskin. Just they, they had it took them into like minute two or three to feel cheated, uh, which I think must be really yeah. upsetting. <laughs> but I, I think the thing that I was most upset about is that um, I feel that monoskin stole their drum beat from Nirvana. And so for a minute, I was like, is this mm. a Nirvana cover band? And then I was like, oh, it's not a Nirvana cover band. It's monoskin. And then I was like, no, it's not even monoskin. Yeah, it was it got very meta, right? Like it's uh, a fake monoskin band covering Nirvana somehow. But yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to admit, it took me an embarrassing amount of time to realize that something was not right uh, <laughs> when, when, when we were watching the band. It was just like, did they get a haircut? Like, why Why does everybody just look a little off? And yeah, uh, once I realized, it's like, oh, the lip syncing is just not working. Like, yeah. It, uh. <laughs> the booze, the booze, that poor guy that had to say, he came out and said, oh, as everyone, as everyone understands, there's been an injury. And I'm like, injury? What kind of? fakey fake way to call it like nah come on just say they don't want to come on but no he you know it's been an injury they'd really like to come out but they can't and the booze the the crowd turned real quick real quick yeah there were, there was booing in our audience i don't think we had known about the injury yet uh because uh, damiano did like tear a ligament and you could see that in the grand final show just uh, him grimacing in pain throughout the performance it's like uh why are you making him do this <laughs> yeah I really liked the Mika final with the, and I, you know, who doesn't want to sing Give Peace a Chance? You know, they pulled it out. It was fine. One thing that surprised me sitting, like, watching the the actual show is just sort of how smoothly everything moved. Because, like, by the time that we did get to the end of the night, I was like, oh, wow, it's it's like 6, 15 p.m. Like, it's time to go. I was just happy because we did semifinal to the televised show. I was just happy to get like more of Martin Osterdahl, which is how you know I'm like a Eurovision geek. Like I want more of Martin Osterdahl. <laughs> he was um he must <laughs> yeah. have been he must have been right above our heads, right? So I couldn't see him. I could just hear him like the voice of God from above me. Um, you know, reading out reading out the uh whatever aggregated totals or whatever. And um, I genuinely thought it was a technical fault, and I just thought, oh great, we get more of Martin. Like I'm all, I'm all about it. Ooh, squee! I'm, I'm near Martin Osterdahl. But um, yeah, it didn't. Yeah, it was a lot going on for sure. How was your semifinal two experience? I thought it was great. The thing that struck me about semifinal two was that a lot of the groups that just didn't speak to me at all whatsoever did really well in semifinal two. The performances were really strong. So Israel was really strong, even though definitely not my cup of tea. San Marino had that home team advantage because uh, all the Italians like knew all the words. Not that there's a lot to know, but um, Ireland came out came out great. And I was kind of iffy on that song. Uh, Romania. So a lot of these, there was just like a lot of crowd pleasers. And the biggest turnaround I think I saw was the Czech Republic with We Are Domi. They had a searchlight effect. So by the time you added her voice, which I thought was really strong with the staging, it it was just a different song. I thought it was great. 
With San Marino, there was a beautiful moment during Johnny Weir's commentary stateside where he's like, how did they bring a bull on, you know, how did they manage to get that to, to your vision? I'm like, Johnny, San Marino is entirely encompassed by Italy. It's very easy for them to, <laughs> to bring a mechanical bull yeah. over. They were missing some of the other elements that makes a mechanical bull a mechanical bull, but fine. Um, the mechanical bull was apparently broken in the week before Eurovision, and there were quite a few photos, you might have seen it, of, uh, of the mechanical bull sort of minus a glitter horn, which was the saddest thing yes. ever. Yeah, I was so one I'm... of Roberta's horns was missing. <laughs> That's it. So I'm glad it I'm glad it worked out for them. However, lots of younger people were like, "Personal Jesus, that's a great line. He's he's a poet." And I was just like, "Nah." <laughs> Nah, just no. <laughs> just no. You know, yeah, to think that uh yeah, Achille came up with that all by himself. He didn't. Uh no. So, yeah, just like a, not a lot of people write down with their musical history, but that's fine. That just means that I'm maturing, I suppose. Look, at some point, those people are going to find Depeche Mode's Violator and good for them. Right. <laughs> right. They, also might, they are also young enough to also discover Madonna's Like a Virgin album at the same time, maybe, because a lot of the same people were like, oh, Like a Virgin. That's also a great line. And I was just like, oh, nails on a chalkboard territory oh, at that point. Wow. I was like, oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. One of us is one of us is very wrong and that's probably me. Just continue on in the reality you're living in, yeah. Where Depeche Mode doesn't exist and, and neither does Madonna really. What did you guys think of semifinal two? Like there's always a discussion which but which semifinal is the better semifinal. And like both of them just had a, a wealth of delightful performances this year. But there was some lovely tense moments with, with semifinal two of realizing, oh no, we have like seven of the ten that are going through and there are at least four things that I would like to continue to go through. So which which of these entries is going to not make it for me? As Mike and I have discussed, like was not expecting Serbia to be the tenth one called on the night and was weirdly stressed out that it might not make the final. <laughs> I had not prepared myself for the possibility of it not being in the final. And then like, there was like that brief moment where it's like, what's going to go through. I was pretty sure it was Serbia just from what was left over. But like, there's always a chance. Like, I feel like the first semifinal was just like full of a couple of wild cards of things that I thought had no chance of making it through. What did you want to go through from semifinal two? Did anything not make it in that you, that you wanted to get in? I thought that Ireland's, semi-final performance was so stepped up from the initial performance we saw a Brooks song that it was just very polished. I would have probably swapped out that in Azerbaijan. I tend to always like the more up-tempo stuff and it felt like we we definitely had a, a, just like we had like so many sad boys this year. Oh, it was Dirge City. It was it was like yeah. a dir- it was yeah. a, it was it was a dirgeathon for a while there. It really was. Ireland I was bummed out. Like I am not a Ariana Grande, air quotes, female empowerment. Like, um, I'm, I'm not, I'm just not down with that kind of song like Ireland. I think, I think Ireland's song was eminently qualifiable in some other form. But mm-hmm. the, the wine rap, the rappy speaky bit, I thought was a bit over the top. I loved the staging. It reminded me of my Lisa Frank Trapper Keeper from like the late 80s, early 90s. It took me right back to middle <laughs> school. I think that her dance could have been a bit, because um, she had like the cry, the, you know, the th- she had a little fist thing where she would cry every time she said the word cry. I think the dancing could have been a little bit tighter, both in the sense of her background dancers and her own dance. And I, I would have lost that speaky bit in the middle. And then I thought it would have been eminently qualifiable. It was it was good. I mean, it just had all of the hope. And then it just kind of, for me, it just didn't have enough wind at its back to do it. It had kind of a dated quality about it. Like it was it, uh, from the time that it was selected, it reminded me of very early Kesha 
And yeah, like Kesha's grown up a bit since then. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, like it, it, it really kind of highlighted that contrast for me. But yeah, I, I still would have liked Ireland to go in. And I think Azerbaijan would have been the right choice to swap out for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, at least for the jury show, it was it was kind of a tough room, I thought. And I don't know why that was the case, particularly when Sweden was performing. It really felt like the crowd was kind of ambivalent about that one. And it immediately kind of tipped off to me. It's like, oh, I don't think Sweden's a contender anymore. Mm. And Sweden still did well, but it was just like, oh, there's there's something in the air here that I had not picked up on before. And uh, it's, it's not as responsive. But I think also part of it was, and my husband commented on this as well, that in the arena, that performance didn't quite work. Like he just wasn't, he just didn't really understand what was going on. But seeing it on TV, it made so much more sense. And I think it's just because it was in that like tight close up most of the time and just a very intimate performance, which you're not going to get in a converted hockey arena. Mm, yeah, I didn't, I really, you know, we listen to these songs more than most people do. If I'd only had to hear it once, maybe right. okay. But Azerbaijan, really, I didn't get the staging, like the sort of like uh, high school bleachers facing each other and the dancing. And um, yeah, even the words, I definitely have things to say about word salad songs, but I'm sure we'll get there. And uh, no, it just yeah. wasn't, <laughs> as, as Azerbaijan wasn't my thing. There were a lot of performances that people like vocally, right? They Like if you're just concentrating on what somebody can do with their voice, I think Australia, there were a lot of Australia super fans. Um, and that is just pure like vocal amazingness. Ditto with Azerbaijan. I think if you just look at what somebody can do with their voice, that must have been amazing if that's where your Eurovision sweet spot is. So, yeah, I mean, there were other choices. And and I know I, I don't think you like, liked Belgium, but I think a lot of people liked the voc- vocality of it. It wasn't for me, but I did like the, the quality of his voice and what he was doing with that song. And Poland, the same. Poland is just a song that if you if you like hearing what somebody can do kind of like um you know vocal fireworks that's it that's 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 in your wheelhouse that's great so that that for me mm-hmm. was semi-final too for sure a lot of people liked estonia a lot more than i thought they would so that was kind of unexpected and um we were seated near the hedges near the artist hedges where spain Germany and Israel were and people were just crazy about I mean you saw people blowing kisses to Michael Ben David and he would just gaze at the spectators for minutes on end it was a it was a bit it was it was like watching you know when you put a like a parakeet next to a mirror and it thinks it's a different parakeet do you know do you know what I'm talking about like the togetherness like, like the togetherness yeah, yeah. of, of sorry or, or, or babies babies do the same I was at I was at the meet and greet in the virtual press center and that is an apt metaphor of, of oh like, yeah I mean it was yeah. just like watching some women just blow him and it was like minutes on end he would he, and he there was a point where he just stood in the middle of the hedge village just blowing kisses and staring at these fans and I was like wow um wow just wow but uh but yeah I mean we were we were seated right next to Spain and she wasn't even you know Chanel wasn't going on but the Spanish fans were crazy and that's when I thought Spain's gonna pull it out they're gonna pull it out what was your semifinal one experience it's always interesting with the way that the Eurovision week is kind of it's not that it's set up this way it's just kind of how it happens where the audience is going to be 
not at full capacity at the beginning of the week. The only people who are going to be there are going to be the locals and people who are making Eurovision week their vacation or they're working uh, the event. And so it wasn't like a full capacity experience. The audience was still invested in it. Moldova's performance popped off just as much as it did in oh. all of its subsequent performances. Oh, it's so, just like, yes, oh. yes, yes, yes. Sorry, that is in my wheelhouse. I, I realize it's in terrible taste. I don't care. I love that song. Oh, I, I thought that was fantastic. And I was so thrilled that the crowd got it because I, I could I could see it going either way. Like, mm-hmm. The crowd just being like, I do not get this at all. Or this is the most amazing thing to see live. And it was much closer closer to the ladder of that. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean it got off to a really good start. I think having Albania start off is an interesting choice just given that like Albania and Italy are kind of besties. So mm. uh, there were a lot of people who were like really looking forward to that performance. And then you have Latvia moving in there and delivering a very colorful both in terms of language and in wardrobe uh performance <laughs> and yeah, like I, I think that really set things up nicely. And then there was just that kind of lull that happened in the four, five, six era of the lineup. And mm. you mean six yeah, being six, so six, six, like, six being Ukraine, the eventual winner, <laughs> like that lull? It's um, all right. It's all right. Be honest. This this was also part of the tough crowd aspect uh, okay. that I experienced, where it's just like it did not have as much of a response as I would have expected. Everybody was standing for Ukraine, but there was kind of an air of politeness about it rather than enthusiasm, mm. if, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that it, it, it was an interesting observation. But, like, again, it's no surprise, like, what the ultimate outcome was. I would have expected it to have been much more of, like, restarting the engine and it's just mm. kind of like oh, okay we're just continuing along i'm just like oh okay so fair enough so i now have a new eurovision pet peeve which i'm going to call perfume flanker songs i don't know if you read perfume criticism you probably don't fragrance criticism but there's a great critic called luca turin he's a great writer but the point is is that if you've got a perfume, the smell is supposed to tell a story, right? You've got three elements. You've got the bottle, the name, and the smell inside the bottle. And the point is you can put just sandalwood in a bottle and call it opium, and that's great, and it tells a story. Or you can put a 100 smells in, call it angel. It also tells a story. So in a Eurovision sense, you know, there's a title, fine. There's the staging, which for me is the presentation. That's the bottle. But, like, Mm -hmm. a lot of these songs just don't have a story. Like, there's no there there for me. And I think in this season, you guys described a lot of them as being, oh, it's fine. It's a song. And I wondered why so many of these just really irritate me. I'm specifically referring to the songs Breathe, Fade to Black, Stripper, Circles, Jezebel, Secret, Intention, The Show, Halo, Yamame, and Boys Do Cry. For me, they come together as just being word salad. A song like Breathe that I can see they thought that the title had a strong concept, but there's just no story there. And I know that, look, maybe less so for like uh, dance and house music, but I think a pop song a minimum of story I need. And even a song like Didipta that I don't speak Dutch, the minute they said the title means the depths, and I think something about the staging and the melody was enough to take me there. 
But for a lot of these songs, for me, there was just no there there. And I'm not asking for like more wordiness because, you know, fundamentally, Sam Ryder can't write a space song like Elton John or like the Beatles or David Bowie because he doesn't have seven minutes. And, you know, lots of the people that listen to these songs don't speak English. But fundamentally, I just I do need I do need a there there for these songs. And a lot of them just didn't give it to me maybe it comes down to Eurovision getting better every year. Even hold me closer when she says, I met the right one at the wrong time. That's kind of enough for me to hold on to. But like Halo, Mm -hmm. Halo, I started to actively dislike. I thought you just (laughs) came up with, you came up with a solid name. You put a circle on the stage. Okay, right. It's a halo. We get it. And then there's just like a lot of heaven and hell. Um, Jezebel was like this, like, you're the hunter and I'm the prey. And I just thought, no, it's too easy. Mm-hmm. It's some lazy songwriting. I don't know. It's I, I realize I'm on a soapbox, but that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. Well, no, like, I think for both of those songs, for both Halo and Jezebel, there's a lot of different images happening, but they're not necessarily connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's you know, like Halo, you have, yeah, you have like the, he- the the obvious heaven and hell. You've got something about CEOs happening as well. <laughs> That's because it's a Fallout Boy song. To me, that song sounds like a Fallout Boy song. But yes, and um, Boys Do Cry was a bit the same to me. It, it's like clearly to me very Michael Bublé, very like mm, Hallmark Christmas movie sad scene or something like that. <laughs> and... I wanted to like it, but it was just like the word salad of like planes coming out of the air or whatever else. And eat your salad was a bit like that as well. I mean, even though that had a clear message, I don't know. I just, just no, just no, no, no. I I will from now on call them like a perfume flanker songs. And they're just like the bottle you pick up that didn't work out at duty free on your way out of the airport. But uh, I don't think a Eurovision song can can stand like on the on the concept alone. And I think that what that's what a lot of these songs were trying to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like going going back to Montenegro's breathe for a minute. Did either of you understand the outfit? that she was wearing no and no, I'm, like, like i'm not saying that to be like super catty or anything like that but like i was genuinely confused by what how that was supposed to fit in with the story and also genuinely disappointed because uh ben you shared that photo of her like checking her email in that really shiny every time that vladana has shown up at like a pre-party or even just like this one there's like one photo floating around here of her like writing a blog post or, or like checking her email doing something in the press center where she's just like wearing what appears to be just like a couple of sheets of sheet metal formed into armor so i was also disappointed by how restrained her outfit for the actual performance was yeah i mean i saw it live and it didn't translate live of course i mean i it if... I don't even know how to describe her outfit, really. And clearly, Barbara Dex has now been cancelled as of this year. So saying catty thing, like, you know, um, I would just like to say wonderful, empowering things about people's uh, stage choices. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I didn't get that beginning to end. I actually did Google her and the song because I, when I first heard it, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is very generic. We are now just advocating like breathing. <laughs> like who here likes to breathe um everyone crowd pleaser but i thought that there must be something more to the song like it referred to something being unforgivable i thought it was like um it must have some kind of historical reference but it just says that it's down to her you know a situation that happened in her family and i think again this is a situation where the title is very strong and then they just didn't have a lot of places to go after that to include her outfit to include the whole thing the rest of the words all of it i don't know um 
I didn't get a lot from it. I don't know what she could have done. But yeah, with a song that dramatic, I would have expected something more dramatic to include like movement across the stage. I mean, once she was plugged in there, all she could do was stand still. You know, it's easy being a critic because we don't have to produce anything. But um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, her, her outfit was problematic, I think. And I also don't know what they intended to achieve, really, because those little twinkly lights were not going to read way out in the hinterland of the venue, really. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and like, I'm also wondering if they were particularly hampered by uh, the, the rainbow of death, as you called it, being sort of less functional than, than advertised. There's another thing. I fully, fully, fully do not understand the rainbow of death. So this is another situation where I was going to feel super bad for Italy-ish because I'd seen the mock-up they had on YouTube, like the little uh, artist rendering of what it was supposed to look like. And in the artist rendering, it was like silver. Um, And yeah, it moved. And we did see it move. To be fair, in the actual venue, the Rainbow of Death or barnacle-covered shipwreck, which is another way of looking at it, With the light coming from the back, it really was like a, a Titanic kind of a moment, right? Like uh, with the light seeping through the holes or whatever. But we saw it move. And, you know, in the venue, it wasn't as bad because you had the screens behind it that were massive. I think it was more problematic on television because you spent all of this time looking at the rainbow of death. So it just was kind of just more terrible on TV than it was in real life. But even when it was moving, I don't think it was it was a little bit ominous when it was moving because it moved so slowly and because it was black i don't understand why they couldn't have made it some brighter color or cheerier color because the one in the mock-up was silver so i i I don't know how that happened i mean i'm really sorry that the the motors didn't work or whatever happened but even i i I can't imagine a a working rainbow of death let's say you know a, a really effective rainbow of death yeah, I mean, I th- I think it was weird that they did have it moving at points, but then never mentioned it at all. So it was just sort of like, oh, the background is in a different configuration than it was a couple minutes ago. And yeah, I, I just found that more distracting than anything else. It- it's kind of taking me into the mindset of like how... If this were a normal year or a closer to normal year, I think... RAI probably would have been uh, raked over the coals a bit more than it has been. Like, there was a lot of messiness to this year's overall production. And I I think other broadcasters have been taken to task for for lesser screw-ups over the course of producing. Hasn't Nikki Nikki Tutorials tweeted to say that, like, their hosting last year was better? Just kind of, you know, definitely check me on that. But I think that actually (laughs) happened. I I know exactly what you're talking about. No, uh, Nikki Tutorials was... I would say very typically Dutch and very, very direct in some of her comments about the hosting last year versus this year. I I left Italy clearly very upset that I didn't get into Eurovision Village (laughs) for the grand final. However, a lot of other things like, you know, you weren't allowed to have water in the Eurovision Village or more precisely, you weren't allowed to have caps on your water and um, you weren't allowed power banks, which I think for some of the, the Eurovision fans that were camping created a safety problem. You know, there was definitely like a lack of taxis, a lack of trams getting to the venue As far as the actual night goes, I think there's a thing that happens with Italy where we don't think about it like the same way we think about France. If it were Paris or London, you would get raked over the coals. But I think because people look at Italy and think, oh, that's cute or something like that. Like it gets a pass, I think, when it shouldn't, if that makes sense. I don't know how much of it is that this is an off year or we want to like Italy, so we kind of forgive a lot. 
I kind of get that as well. And that also kind of just goes into like my overall experience in Italy. Like there were, there were some aspects of uh, Italian culture that were very difficult to navigate. <laughs> and like, uh, we, we were hangry, uh, quite a few times during this trip. <laughs> and it's just like, uh, I just want food. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. It was like that moment when our cab driver asked if we have cash, you know, we tried to pay for it with a card and he said, Oh, do you have cash? And I'm like, you know, we don't. And he, He's like, well, there's an ATM over there. And I'm like, well, you know, because I don't have a language problem. So this stuff really, I, I, I'm like, no, you know, we, we spend pounds sterling. You know, we don't, I don't need euro. <laughs> but yeah, it's because um, either there's a commission on the, on the credit card transaction or people don't want to pay taxes. So they prefer cash payments. But I, I feel like the city needs to let people know about things like that, right? I think that it's just part of holding the Olympics or doing Eurovision or holding any big event that people need to be like prepared for that like locals need to be prepared for that and i don't know whose job that was like for example milan had a transit strike on the sunday and tons of people couldn't get to the airport <laughs> oh i know about that yeah <laughs> oh mike is very aware yeah yeah like uh were it not for the uh because we had to get a covid test before coming back to the states and the pharmacy that was in the train station we got there late Saturday afternoon and the pharmacy was closing up. So it was like, yeah, you can't do a test today. So uh, come come back tomorrow morning. It's like, okay, fine. We did that. That's when we found out about the transit strike. And it's like, oh, well, I'm glad that we didn't get our tests Saturday night. Otherwise, we probably would have been scrambling <laughs> trying to get to the airport. Tons of people, tons of people missed, like missed at least, missed some kind of handover. I mean, I'm hoping, I'm hoping everybody made their flight. So I was on a WhatsApp group with 150 other Eurovision fans. Uh, shout out to the WhatsApp group. And, you know, they, they were very complimentary about like nightlife, let's say. Shout out also to the Euro Banana or any of the other clubs. You know, they were very complimentary about the nightlife and everything else. But um, just some of the logistics right down to getting out, kind of like getting out of Dodge. I was a bit shocked that that was Milan, a capital city. I mean, I would have expected it from somewhere else in Italy, but not from a capital city. Yeah, I definitely lost my control with the taxi driver once we'd been waiting there an hour and he started taking the highest bidder. So there's supposed to be a line outside the station, right? And once he started saying just like, whoever has the most money, I'll take you. And that was like the only taxi we'd seen in an hour. I thought I'm going to come unglued. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, um, yeah, it's that's just stuff where you think, yeah, not going to happen in Paris, not going to happen in London. And I'm sorry, because I think, you know, I, I know we'll have Italian listeners and nobody loves Italy more than me and nobody loves Eurovision more than me. But you just think, no, guys, get it together. Just get it together. I also think that just coming back to this production, I think brand Italy was not as well represented as it could have been. Like, I think the bit about there was supposed to be a dance to hand gestures or something. And I've watched it over and over now. And I still don't see this hand gesture dance or they were supposed to do a bit about Raffaella Cara that just disappeared. Italy has a very clear brand. And I don't think it was as clearly represented as it could be because like Laura Pausini, you know, she sung her greatest hits and that's great for Italians. But I just think that there could have been more done with a brand that, that that's that strong, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I would like as somebody who watched primarily from home, I would fully agree with like it didn't feel like like there there were plenty of awkward hosting moments, but there wasn't anything that felt like, ah, yes, this is this is super traditionally Italian. And like that Raphael Carra thing that was essentially just like an extra shimmy at the end of the Italo disco. Yeah, I was expecting dancers. And like, even if we'd all sung Volare together, like everyone knows Volare. Like why? I don't know. I just, 
I feel like there's just there's so many things that are typically Italian. If I'd watched at home, I don't think that I would have come away with like, oh, I've I've been transported to Italy for however many hours they had. I, uh, very iffy on that. I found Mika as a host choice interesting, but like interesting and like, but why why not like an Italian TV person? <laughs> I think he was a judge on Italian. Oh right, X yeah, he Factor. does. He does like, like, yeah, he does like all of the Italian like the voices and your Italy's Got Talents and your whatnot. Okay. It was an interesting choice just because I found him very weirdly mm-hmm. off-putting <laughs> a lot of the time. Yeah, he had, so. yeah, he just had like a real, real weird vibe. As much fun as like the twenty-minute Mika halftime show during the grand final was, I would have loved something else about Italian culture. There's a thing with Italy where as Italy scales up, as you just get to projects with more and more people, it starts to fall apart. A medium-sized business in Italy is like ten people, and that's like you know the size of a family, and that's when things work, right? That's why all. Well, lots of Italian successful businesses like Gucci, et cetera, et cetera, are are held by a family because it's a scalability issue. And I think a lot of the individuals came out really strongly. So I think like Benny Benassi pulled out his semifinal, you know, as as far as being, you know, whatever, the halftime show. Um, I think that Diodato did amazing work. I love Diodato and I love that song and I'm so glad he got to sing it. Um, I think, you know, they had the astronaut on um, Samantha Cristoforetti, Mahmoud and Blanco. These are all songs about human frailty. I think that's what, you know, Mahmoud, that's, a, you know, Brividi is a song about frailty. Uh, Fairumore is a song about frailty. And I think that's what Italy does really well. But as it started to scale up, whether it be like the rainbow of death, like getting some people to like make a functional kinetic sun, there was something about it, I think, that fell apart a little bit. And I I don't want to be too harsh, but that's just the way I felt. Those are some great comparisons about, oh, yeah, all of these all of these smaller systems are working great. It's sort of the, the larger system and the larger infrastructure where things are sort of losing that Italian touch. And that makes sense. Yeah, they could have just had those people. They could just have the individuals have saved the whole thing. I think for me, Mika was like, um, you know, when the community theater narrator sits at the edge of the stage and like breaks the fourth wall and tells everybody during Peter Pan, they have to like clap to save Tinkerbell in like a very soft voice. Mm -hmm. Yes. There was a lot of Mika narrating in a very soft voice, like, what is the sound of beauty? And I thought, oh, I don't need an answer to this rhetorical question, but thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, his, 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 his blue suit, uh, his blue suit was amazing, though. The color was amazing. And I did just want to stick like a, a white carnation in there and like go to prom with him mm-hmm. or something. I definitely, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I, I'm happy that they didn't select one of the San Remo supermodels or whatever. I, I mean, I'm glad they selected Laura Pausini. I I just don't know how much all of it added. I don't I don't know. I'm not feeling it. Yeah, and I have to wonder how much of San Remo like you don't want to re- necessarily recreate San Remo. Since, no, like, no, no. It's already its own thing. So I wonder if that's maybe kind of warping expectations a little bit. And yeah, like I think this is going to be one five years down the road when Eurovision again looks at this. I would be very interested to see like what the reaction is looking back on it once there's a little bit more distance. Mm. Mm. Well, how did you guys feel about the final? I really found myself enjoying the final. And again, like it sped by, like all of a sudden we were at the end of the night based on how the the drawing went for all of the various qualifiers. I do not envy the people who had to figure out the running order when you have a bunch of the heavy hitters in the first half of the show and then everything else is in the second half and you just need to get everybody across the finish line awake. 
We actually had a Eurovision rewatch party yesterday. Huh. Uh, since we weren't weren't able to have a Eurovision party, it's like, well, we should have people over and watch the Peacock coverage. And it was nice being able to watch it without also having to tweet along or be in the audience. It's like, oh, I can actually watch this as a television program and relax and have a drink and all of that. And even though I knew what the outcome was going to be and like there there weren't going to be any surprises along the way, there was one person in our party who did not know anything going in. So that was also nice. So we were just like, okay, it's going to be like a, a spoiler-free discussion. It moved along and I agree, like Johnny Weir was doing a fantastic job on Peacock. Oh, you guys missed Graham Norton. You, neither of you watched Graham Norton. Oh, shame I, on you. I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel conflicted about Graham Norton's coverage. It Like, I, I appreciate the perspective he brings and he's been much better the last couple of years, but I feel like he has a tendency to get a little bit meaner mm. than I want my commentator to be. Like, Iceland had English language coverage, I think it was last year, and it could have just been that, like, they had just, like, a very dry Icelandic wit, but it was, like, the perfect level of just enough jokes to, to, like, helpful content. Aww. Ratio for me is, I sometimes find that Graham gets a little bit too mean for my liking. Yeah, Graham, Graham Norton took over for someone called Terry Wogan, who had been writing. Yes, like, he's, he's light years better than, than Terry. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think he's trying to do a similar thing. And, you know, um, I don't want to... Re- well, I have bec- I became British a few months ago, so I'm now a dual citizen. So uh, this was a big year for me because uh, when does England ever get to root for a song that comes second? The new English part of me got to root for uh, for Sam Ryder. But I think also because British people just write off Eurovision... I think part of the fun is the mean jokes because, you know, England doesn't ever come in first. But I so I think maybe that'll turn around now because, you know, you have to take it seriously now because we're doing quite well, the English. I think it's also very chic to sneer at whatever happens on the continent, if that makes sense. I don't want to get too into the winner because I'm sure you will. And I'm sure that'll take up the next few months. But people are really catty about Ukraine winning. And I don't really understand why, because, you know, last year, Goa came in fifth with some, you know, it's like a fusion industrial, I don't even know what to call it. And this year, you know, it's fusion rap, whatever. I mean, it's not too far off. And there's a same band member for crying out loud. If Shum came in fifth last year, I don't see why this song couldn't win. Do I think it was pushed up by events? I do. Uh, do I think what I'm trying to get at, sympathy is what happens when you can externally understand what's happening to somebody else. And empathy is when you feel it in your own, like in your own soul and your own skin. And I think the question is this year in Europe, do you think that, the, that, that what's happening in the Ukraine is happening to somebody else? Or do you look at that and think, that's us. That's what's happening to us as Europeans. So I think if you take a look at that, and you've been raised on stories of World War One and World War Two and Germany invading Poland and whatever else, it starts to not look like a thing. That, I mean, especially if you're in England and you heard stories about the Blitz, right? I don't blame people for voting emotionally. And I vote emotionally all the time, right? When my son was first born and Think About Things was the song, of course, I voted for Think About Things, right? And yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I think people are being really catty to the Ukraine. And, you know, there's a, quite a lot of, oh, I'm never listening to Eurovision again. This is the year that's going to end Eurovision. I don't know. Really? Mm. Yeah, for sure. Have you read the boards? They're very, very catty. Um, I mean, like the year that Toy won, I thought, oh, this is not my cup of tea. And I'm going to have to listen to it for a whole nother year. But I got mm. over it. I got over it, and I don't know why people people are being very catty. Like they're calling Ukraine pity winners, and it was a pity vote. And I think that's a bit 
over the top, really. It's a little reductive because that song was very good and Ukraine knows how to do Eurovision. For sure. They, they've always got out of the semifinals. They've always qualified for the finals. Always. In a year where, where the current events that are happening were not happening, would they have not gotten as much of the televote? Probably. Would they still have gotten a large portion of the televote? Absolutely. I think it would just have been much closer. Credit where credit is due. No, they, they are amazing at Eurovision. Although I think President Zelensky would like to hold it in Ukraine. I also think that in months where Ukraine is falling out of the papers, right, it's not on the front page anymore. I think it will serve, you know, we're going to spend a few months, I feel, talking about like, oh, will it be in this city or that city? And then you look and you think, no, it can't be in this city or that city. And then, oh, goodness, you guys should have been there. When the winner was announced, there was a whole load of people from the big five at our hotel watching and people fell over themselves offering. They said, oh, no, if the winner can't host, there is a rule that says that any member of the big five can host because an English person said right off we're second we're going to be hosting and then the next person said no I'm you know Spain can do it just as well as as any of the other big five and I think it's going to be a bit of a kerfuffle to be honest I don't know yeah, that's kind of what I'm expecting our summer to look like, uh, which, which is great from a content production perspective, but maybe not. <laughs> but, 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but maybe not for the actual people involved in the day to day. It's just like, ooh, yeah, this is going to be it's going to be a very complex discussion. And I think they just started the negotiations and the planning this past Friday. So they haven't even really had that much of a break between the confetti falling last weekend to looking ahead to next year. Well, any other thoughts on the grand final? I, I kind of, uh, I turned our discussion into a different direction. Mike and I already sort of chatted like as close to after the fact as we could, what with a, a transit strike and all. Uh, mm. But it was a very good show. And any of the top five could have, like, I think that there was a real sense, like, again, had we not had current events happening, there was a lot of stuff near the top. It really could have gone any way. I was very pleased to see the UK hopefully having a moment where they can see how well this did and sort of how they got to this place and can keep that momentum going. Because, like, there are a lot of nations that have been producing very good Eurovision entries year over year, and, like, it's really only a matter of time. That's definitely been the case for Italy. Uh, and now that can potentially be the case for Spain or for the UK. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how poorly the Big Five did last year, except for France, and how well, you know, how, how you know, it did turn around this year, especially for the UK. I love the UK song, and that's maybe because I'm living here, but I... I noticed that when he did the stage performance, I wish that the staging had been different because he's so personable. I and I am I mean dynamically personable. I I don't mean like a guy that you'd like to have a beer with, which is kind of a British standard, right? It's like Harry Styles or whoever else. He was really dynamic. His performance, he really amped it up in the last minute. You could see him really, like really selling it. I, I wish they wouldn't have had the cage in front of him because I think it, it just cut you off from him, but. I also noticed that I think if you go back and rewatch it, I am sort of sure, you know, the, the word home comes up a lot in the, in the song and in the, in the recorded version. And I think that they actually reduced that. Like he, he either mumbles or he kind of glosses over it in a way that I think it was really studied to get votes and to not... I, I think it was just like Britain trying to be part of Europe, if that makes sense. I think somebody flagged the word home and was like, no, we're going to do something else. 
I'm, I'm fairly convinced. Uh, sort of in the way that last year, Russian woman, there were calls for her not to say Russian woman. Like, is there something, I mean, or not for Eurovision? Could you, could you say something else? Because that won't appeal to all women. I think that Sam Ryder's song was really studied. The path from where England was last year to this year was very, very studied. Down to, down to picking somebody, somebody that was on TikTok and not like an industry professional. I think all of those things were very, very um, intentional. I think the, the team that, took over finding the Eurovision entry, did a fantastic job throwing out the rule book of what if we didn't look for a song that was written expressly for this event? What if we found a good song and just sent that? Because like, if you look at the original version of Spaceman, it's like three and a half minutes. So like they, they're like, okay, we're going to pick this song. We're going to figure out what the Eurovision version of that song looks like rather than write, writing a song for what you think Eurovision is. He likes Eurovision as well. You can tell that it's like not below him like you can tell that he knows what it's about and he's like his his social media following like he is oh he is packing eight days in a week not to you know coin another britishism but like he's really yeah he was a beam of of sunshine in every single interview and just had the right attitude towards this is a fantastic opportunity i'm gonna do my best and we'll see what happens whatever happens is great i feel a bit neglectful not talking about spain or italy i think italy's performances of brevity got worse. I mean, I think that the, just like the final version wasn't as good as the, as the real thing as, as other versions that I've seen. I know people love Spain. She's great. Go Chanel. I don't, I don't have a ton more to say about that. Again, it's not kind of up my, it's not my cup of tea, but fine. Yeah, fair enough. More for me. Yeah, uh, okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, will, I, I, will, I will save that one for you, Mike. But no, uh, no, just like Italy... Like that, per- that final performance on the night just felt weirdly under rehearsed. Although we did get that beautiful moment where Blanco is walking onto the stage, just like a mini Godzilla, basically. Yeah, <laughs> that was just delightful. Yeah, but I, I will agree that the that was not the best performance of that song because uh, I, I got to see it during one of the jury shows. I think it was for the first semifinal, and then again for the jury performance for the final and like the jury performance for that was great and i i think it's so weird with with the saturday night performance where it's just like this is the end of a very long two weeks and everybody's tired everybody's fried and you can hear it in everybody's voice yeah there there were there were a lot of performances that were not their best because it's like yeah everybody is tired this is is like (laughs) their ninth performance of this song this week yeah, it's just as much of an endurance marathon as anything else. I think they were just like, all right, this is the last time that we have to do this. We're just going to do a fun one and uh, leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Big shout out to Snap, which is a song that I really loved. I don't know why she didn't have more color. Like, I felt like she needed to have color in that pod that she was in. I felt like it did look a little bit like an institution, right? I mean, it looked a bit padded walls by the time that you know, they finished with it. Monica Liu, I loved her song, loved her. She was kind of destined to not win, right? It wasn't super strong, but she's like a human slinky or something. She's like a sexy human slinky. And the song was very slinky as well. And of course, uh, Constructa, who just amazing, amazing. Every time I saw it, it got better. couldn't, yeah, I'll definitely be listening to this playlist for a while now. I'll keep a lot of these songs with me as time goes on for sure. 
was a very full week, I, th- I think is the takeaway from this. But um, yeah, Bradley, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Yes. Thank you. Are, would, are you going to ask me for plugs? I'm hoping you're going to ask oh, me for ab- plugs because I've got that, a that ton. Is the next that, <laughs> that is the All next right. question on my list is like, what would you like to plug? Where can people find you if they would like to to hear more? Oh, no, I've just got plugs for other things this time. And I've got a ton of them as well. So here we go. There is a scholarly convention on Eurovision. You can find it at eurovisions.eu if you'd like to hear professors talk about the importance of Eurovision. I would like to plug the Luna de Lumiere Insta account. That was my roommate at our grand final party. I would like to plug Dancing Lasha Tumbai in all of its forms. Everybody knows the politics, I'm assuming. It's been played by Goa. It's been played back to back with the Ukrainian anthem in battlefields over and over and over. And seeing people play Dancing Lasha Tumbai like in fatigues is something that always makes me a bit... uh, Misty. All of Verka's uh, social media is great. The podcast Andy Kershaw plays some bloody great records. Uh, there's also something called Eurovision Wordle, if everybody gets bored, because I'm aware that, you know, Eurovision season has ended. So Eurovision Wordle. And last but not least, if you're missing the kinetic sun or the rainbow of death. There are other failures in Italian whimsy. I've got four of them for you. There's the Roman Convention Center designed by Fuxus, a very famous architect. Uh, It ran over budget by over 250 million euro and it's a cloud in a box. Yeah, it's a cloud in a box. There you go. You can see the square Colosseum in case you ever thought like, oh, the Colosseum is round. We need a square one. So that's the Colosseo Quadrato. There is a giant statue of Pinocchio called Pinocchio Gigante that is 63 feet tall. And last but not least, in the shadow of Mount Vesuvius, there is a shopping mall by Renzo Piano, another superstar architect, that is called the Volcano Buono, or the Good Volcano. So if you're ever near <laughs> if you're if you're if you're ever near Pompeii and you decide you need like, you know, a pair of yoga pants or something, you can go into a volcano shaped shopping mall. Oh wow. I yeah, I'm adding that to the list right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I I I kind of sat and looked at that rainbow and I thought, oh, this is of a piece with other possible failures, right? I mean, is it the execution? Mm-hmm. Was the idea never good? I don't know. But that's what I've got. That's what I've got for plugs. I wanted to say congratulations on the amazing season because you guys have had amazing guests and I've loved listening to every single minute. Oh, oh thank, thank you. you so much. Oh, yes. It, it, this, this has been such a fun podcast to put together. And yeah, it, it's been interesting this year just because like every year has been different. I think, uh, Ben, I, I don't want to speak for you. But when we first got started, I think it was just like, oh, we're just going to get together every week and talk about silly pop songs. And it has turned into so much more, mainly because of world events. So, <laughs> Yeah, it, it, has, it has turned from, oh, yeah, we'll just talk about some fun songs from week to week and just sort of riff on that. Now I just have a current events podcast and it's very fun. Yeah. Oh, Oh, this reminds me. I have I actually do have one more thing to plug. I stole the cocktail list from one of the uh, one of the Eurovision locations. So uh, there's 20 cocktails that are, you know, after the songs from this year. I was actually going to play a game where I gave you the ingredients and you guessed what song it was. But we don't have time for that. But uh, if anyone would like to make a a cocktail themed after one of this year's songs, I'll include the the list as well. Excellent. Oh, that. 
Sounds amazing. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Eurowhat. Thanks for listening. The Eurowhat podcast is hosted by Ben Smith. That's me and Mike McComb. That's me. You can follow the Eurowhat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast app of your choice. You can find show notes in the description of this episode and on our website at eurowhat.com. We're also on Twitter at Eurowhat if you want to say hi. We have been just asking questions about the American Song Contest over on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Eurowhat. Next week on this feed, we'll be sharing one of our bonus episodes about the American Song Contest Season 1 with our guest, Andy Deanhart from Reality Blurred. 